the number one rule for your set in order to survive. Gotta learn to live with regrets on a rise to the top. Many drop, don't forget in order to survive. Gotta learn to live with regrets. This is the number one rule for your set in order to survive. Gotta learn to live with regrets. If you watch travels, we get separated. Never forget in order to survive. Gotta learn to live with regrets. Sure is this. Earth is turning, souls burning in search. You're how you're learning, turning in every direction, seeking direction. My mom's crying cause her insides are dying. Her son trying her patience. Keep her heart racing. A million beats a minute. I know I push you to your limit, but it's this game, love. I'm caught up all in it. They make it so you can't prevent it. Never give it, you gotta take it. Can't fake it, I keep it authentic. My hand got this pistol shaking. Cause I sense danger like Camp Crystal Lincoln. Don't wanna shoot him, but I got him. Trapped within this infrared dot, bout to hot him and hit rock bottom. No answers to these trick questions. No time, shit stressing. My life found, I got to live for the right now. Time waits for no man. Can't turn back the hands once it's too late. Gotta learn to live with regret. You used to hold me, told me that I was the best. Anything in this world I want, I could possess. All that made me want is all that I can get in order to survive. Gotta learn to live with regrets. When I was young, you used to hold me, told me I was the best. Anything in this world I want, I could possess. All that made me want is all that I can get in order to survive. Gotta learn to live with regrets. That's, of course, coming from the famous... Jay-Z album, Reasonable Doubt, and, of course, the song, Regrets. You know, in politics, we are faced with the unyielding circumstances of our decisions. Sometimes those decisions can bring incredible outcomes. Other times, we're faced with the falsity of our hopes and the catastrophe of rejection. All in all, it's after the elections in which we must face the reality of our decisions, no matter the outcome. It is with that being said that we have to learn to not live in the regrets of our decisions. I personally, I don't have a ton of regrets, but none of them involve politics. I say that to address the elephant in the room. The candidate who I backed for governor passionately and with much fervor and fanfare, Nikki Freed, lost badly in the primary. Okay, we'll address that. Now, I've had a few days to process this. Thankfully, I was in Key West the day after the election, so I was able to literally and both mentally and physically get away from it all. But in that time, I had a ton of reflection, of course, litany of conversations, some of which involving members from the campaign team. But in none of those reflections or conversations did the acknowledgement of regret for backing her ever creep up. In fact, the only time I had the conversation of regret, even that even cropped up, is when people who were either supporting Charlie Chris or were tentative about Nikki Freed's chances were calling and texting me incessantly in a thousand different ways. And do I have, asking me in a thousand different ways, do I have any regrets? Obviously, the emphatic answer is no. Honestly, I cannot respect people who harbor regretful nature about picking a candidate. I'll get back to that later on in the pod. Because either it shows me that you're ill-informed or easily manipulated without a true core. Now, for me, I personally don't pick candidates because I think they're going to win. My first thoughts in any evaluation of a candidate is if they fit my ideal and if they check off the boxes of those ideals. No candidate is perfect. And I don't want you to walk away from this intro or anything thinking that I think any candidate is perfect. But I do tend to lend a a certain bit of weight to whether or not they check off more boxes than the other. 
It's only after the first question do I even consider the second or whether or not they can win. So you see, me having regrets about a candidate that I've chosen when they've met the criteria of the first question would be ridiculous and be lying to myself. So let this be known. You will either have, you never have to wonder whether or not why I chose somebody or if I have regrets on anything. Just know that my intentions are always aligned with my actions. Now let's just address the person that won, Charlie Chris, former governor, current congressman, and vying to be a, a governor one, one more time. And I'm actually thinking about um, my class in college called Statistical Analysis. And in that class, I had a professor, we went over these scenarios. And in the scenario talked about how a person has 99, you can have a 99% chance of doing something, but it's in that 1% that makes the entire thing uh, invalidated. So let's say you have a construct of a, of a particular problem and they fit everything within that construct, 99%. But even if in that one percentage that something's off or even a 0.01%, then it's not a true and based um, uh, representation of what it is. And that's just the way uh, statistics are work it, by numbers. It has to work out 100%. It can't be 99.9% because if it's 99.9%, then it's not true. It's, even if 998 whatever, it doesn't matter. You take that and you apply that to how lawyers look at evaluating a case, especially in the criminal defense, and they say, listen, there might be a lot of things that happen within this case, but if, in fact, there is some doubt, a reasonable doubt, not just doubt, but a reasonable doubt that my client is innocent, and I've proven, proven beyond that reasonable doubt that they're innocent, then you have to let them go. It doesn't matter how scintilla that doubt is. I harp on that word scintilla because that is exactly the amount of percentage of which I think Charlie Chris has against DeSantis. I think he has a scintilla of a chance against DeSantis, even if it's 0.08% or 0.01% or whatever. But we'll get into all that, um, talking about politics. I know that's what you're here for. But before we do all that, welcome, welcome, welcome to Uncultural Bias Podcast. My name is Kamar Williams. I'm your host. On our show, we say that culture is a matter of perspective and opinion. After all, culture is another way to say discovered. We are uncultural, we are biased, and we are black. You never have to wonder if I have regrets about this podcast, about anything I do. But if you're tuning in for the first time, welcome, welcome, welcome. If you are returning, welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. Um, we'd ask everybody who's on Apple and Spotify to uh, rate our program, five-star rating. That's how they grade algorithms. Uh, we want to give a shout-out to our sponsors this week, um, Coleman Law, 850 Five nine seven two nine nine zero. That's Coleman Law. www.coleman.law. Uh, hit them up for any business, real estate, or tax issues. Um, they are brilliant, and they can help you along the way. If you're in the market for real estate, uh, contact Keystone Global Real Estate at four zero seven six eight zero eight five one zero. If that's in your Central Florida area, that's Keystone Global Real Estate. And of course, if you're in the market for probate, estate planning guardianships, all that wonderful stuff, please contact Smith and Williams Trial Group at eight 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 SWTG Law or C. Williams at SWTGlaw.com. All right, brilliant. I got my man here um, who's back on the pod. He was here a couple weeks ago, and people seem to really enjoy him. Philip, you still with us? Yeah, yeah I'm still here, man. I appreciate, first off, the, the re-invite. <laughs> uh, and I did hear some positive things off the last episode. Um, if we do this one more time, we may have to uh, – I'll be a – 
honorary co-host, man. I'll just jump in where I need to. Hey, man, I'm with it. <laughs> I'm with it, bro. I, I'm, I'm. Listen, please, 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 jump on the podcast anytime you want. <laughs> one of the, hard, I'm with it. I'm one with of the it. hardest parts about doing a pod is getting people to come on the pod and you know just spit on wax and just be authentic, right? Because right. they're always like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to say, I don't want to say, like so, just whatever. I should, I, I want to add though. Um, would tell people that this is episode ninety-seven, and I am taking a break after one hundred for a multitude of uh, reasons. One of them being that a hundred episodes in less than two years is a lot on myself, yeah, and my family. And so, um, I am taking a break. I don't know how long that break is. I don't know what's going to bring me back out, but I am taking a break after one hundred episodes. So I'm letting you know, letting everybody know, not you per se. Hey, hey, hey I get it. Trust me, I took a. We've taken a two-year break on my podcast, the Just Politics and Podcast, because it just became a bit too much. You, you really need to focus on, you know, the things that are paying the bills and important sometimes. But Absolutely. And I don't think a lot of people, you do understand, but I don't think a lot of people understand what goes into it. Um, right. You know, and actually, you know what? <laughs> we talk about regrets. My only regret I have on the pod is that I have and I'm just being very authentic here. You spend so much time putting so much energy and effort into a pod, right? And there's so much thought mm-hmm. and it's hard to get people to listen. Yeah. It's really hard to get people to listen. And I, I know this is like spilled, spilled milk, water under bridge, but you know, just like the Charlie Chris podcast I had. Right. And what people don't realize about that is that it's hard to get Charlie on a, on an interview for more than 10 minutes. Like mm. you're not going to, you don't. And I didn't realize it until afterwards, but you're not going to get him on for an interview for more than 10 minutes. Any type of spot you see him on and Philip, you can, oh. it's always short because he doesn't like doing long interviews. So when I did that pod, a lot of people inside ballpark in like inside politics, all the message I got, like how the hell did you get Charlie Chris to do an interview for more than 10 minutes? You know, how did mm. you do that? Um, and he was actually supposed to do it for an hour, but he obviously bounced out. But what I think, yeah, but what I think really what, what got me, what bothered me was that I don't think a lot of people paid attention and listened. And I think that's one of the things I, I, I that bothers me a lot about it. Like, cause it's like you, there was a, there was a real opportunity. Put a lot into it. There's a lot yeah. into it. Yeah. And there's a lot, a lot that goes into creating these things and not enough people Paid paid enough attention for my life, yeah. So that's the only, that's a regret I have on that. But with that being said, um, what do you think about my opening when I said he has a scintilla of chance? <laughs> it, it, it was really hilarious. Um, nobody's giving Charlie a a chance at all in the, in the general, and it's, it's really funny and crazy and sad at the same time because. That's the only other option we have against DeSantis. And a part of it, you know, you, you play it out to say, okay, Gillum lost 32,000 plus votes. People are going to be energized. And we've, we've ro- rolled this ebbs and flows of Trump, Biden. And we're right back to a point of saying, you know what, let's get DeSantis out. And it's like, even the guy we put up, it's like, you know what, I don't even think he can do it. So I'll just sit on the side and, you know, see what happens. So nobody really give him a chance. Yeah. And, and it's not like a personal, I think some people... Again, last week I got a lot of, like, you know, are you sad? Like, are you like heartbroken? I'm like, yeah, I think he's cool, but I ain't dating her. 
Like, you know, I, I like I liked her as a candidate, but I mean, I'm sad that she lost, but I'm not like crestfallen into the place where I like, you know, you know, I'm not I'm not like Suge Knight and, you know, F Bad Boy Records. I fuck, fuck Chris and, you know, right, as a right, record right. label fuck Chris as a staff. You know, I ain't I ain't on that shit. Like, I'm like, yo, I, you know, best of luck, you know, right, right, uh, right. It's politics. You shake your hand, whatever. But um, I think one of the things that was fascinating to me was on two sides of it. You had, and we'll, we can get into the weeds of it if you're down for it. But one of the things mm-hmm. that was fascinating to me was when people, A, who were really excited about Charlie winning. And then they were like, yeah, yeah, I think he can do it. And I was like, mm, I don't know if you looked at the primary numbers, but I think you need to, you know, chill out, bucko. Yeah. Number one. Yeah. But, and we can get into those primary numbers. And number two, I think you have to understand the reality of where we're at as a state. And then, you know, um, you know, talk about where we were at as a country in 2020. And then mm-hmm. you have to put those two things together and evaluate, are we in the same space? And I don't think anybody who can make those evaluations can say we are in the same space. I feel you on that. Yeah. I, I get you. I just, I think um, if I'm interpreting it right, we're all living in a different Florida in some some ways that some folks will really look at and say, you know what, Charlie beat Nikki by 20-plus points. They should give him some headway going up against DeSantis. But I guess kind of like you're saying, they're not looking at the raw numbers of how many people actually voted on both sides of the aisle mm-hmm. and seeing how the Republicans showed up a lot stronger than Democrats across the state. So it's kind of like if we show up at these same medial middle-of-the-road numbers, we're not going to have a good show out or good results in, in November for the most part, I, I would assume. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really the sobering thought when I looked at it. I'm like, Republicans did not have a top of the ticket in the primary, and right. they beat us by like a hundred and something thousand, like 120,000 votes in, right. in turnout. Like, that's insane. Like, they were voting for agricultural commissioner, and they came out way much more in fervor than Democrats. Mm-hmm. And I don't think people understand, like, how problematic that is on just on a general sense for, like, 11 weeks for a general con- general election is a short time, man. You've worked yeah. on campaigns, right? Yeah. 11 weeks is nothing. Every day is is crucial until you get those last twenty one days and every little thing. Every then every hour, every yeah. hour yeah. is like crucial. And so people think, oh, we got enough eleven weeks to to generate interest. I'm like, you don't. No, I started way before that because people know who they're going to vote for. Yeah, ninety five percent of people know who they're voting for after August. Yeah, it's just other five percent that really help determine how the election is going to play out for real. Right. And so one of the things I blamed, again, the Democratic Party was that you knew you were losing in the um, in the registration battle. So Mm -hmm. you needed to get people pumped up about the general election in November and you needed to create a fervor for the primary. And they dropped the ball. And now Mm -hmm. you have 11 weeks to get people be like, oh, there's an election. And it's like that it it should have been a thing where for the FDP, their main goal, whomever was gonna be the candidate, their main goal was like we're gonna make August twenty third 
a a holiday. Like not a real holiday, but we're going to make it this thing where you cannot because we need people to know. We don't have the numbers to kind of like play lackadaisical. We have to get everybody interested in voting and we have to get our base excited about voting in November. And then on top of that, we can then get independents and Republicans to come over on our side because we're going to need that. This, this this sounds amazing. Honestly, it sounds like like the Democratic progressive operatives you hear early on in the campaign. It's like they say this highfalutin dream shit. Like you know what <laughs> the NBA finals or something. And it's like wait, you know I, I feel it, but then the reality starts to set in. And it's like listen, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, and, and I, hate, I hate to say it that way, but that's just the reality. Of how it works is FDP is never going to push the primary because. The bylaws of the um of the state basically say you can't pick one Democrat over another. Well, I wasn't telling so he, them, I wasn't telling them to pick a candidate. That's no, no, I know, but they got they have to pick somebody in order to drive engagement, right? So it's kind of like who who's really who do we really want you to show up and vote for? So a part of it is, yeah, you can't pick. So yeah, just show up and vote for anybody. That doesn't that doesn't drive folks. Um, so, I disagree on that though, because right. so here's here's why I disagree because what I I. I don't think you have to pick a candidate, but the FDP again can generate interest by can- with the candidates with mm-hmm. and I and I say this again, you know, creating more debates. I feel like in 2018, leading up to especially the last three debates, because they had ten debates, no one mm-hmm. paid attention for, for for the first seven. You remember that? Like all right, all you know, right. nobody gave a shit. It wasn't until the last three debates where people started being like, "Wait a minute." Like we got to start paying attention Like people started to pay attention. And I often said that them not having more than one debate right. was really one of the dumbest things they could have done as a, as a party. You know, if, even if you believe that Charlie was g- going to be the guy, that's fine, but you cannot go through a primary season with one debate. Yeah. I, but then it kind of plays to, I think we said last time, like we don't want to really, over-educate, over-engage folks. So it's kind of the topsy-turvy piece. I know D, uh, Manny Diaz coming in, his biggest thing was fundraising. It wasn't even a fact of anything else besides having the money ready for this election cycle. And I don't think the money's there. So it's the fact that, like, <laughs> like you, you, sold, you sold a dream, and it's kind of like a part of what you're saying, even the progressive part of like what I was just saying, everybody building that hype is kind of like this is what the money was for. But the money is either there and y'all not spending it, or there's no money at all. But you just so it's kind of like, you, how are you going to get people to turn out if you can't tell them? You just, but you just kind of, you know, made almost made my point though for me, Phil, because you said <laughs> that Manny, his main focus was fundraising, right? Was it? And so when your main thing, you know, falls and it's it's it it doesn't even meet the criteria, it doesn't even meet the standard, then yep. it's like, oh, now we're we're just out asked out with no plan. You know, and I feel like that should have been fundraising is fine, but you're never going to out fundraise Republicans. Right. So you have to out message them. That's it. That's my plan. I mean, if I was ahead of the FDP, I'd be like, listen, we're going to lose fundraising. They'd be like, Kamara, what's your plan? Well, my plan is number one is I don't want to let y'all know we want money, but we're not going to out fundraise them. It's not in the state. It's not happening. But what we're all going to do is we're going to get on the same page message message wise. We're going to pick three pillars of a message. And we're going to push that for the next, you know, nine months. I don't care who the candidate is, but these are the three things 
that we need everybody to know. And then the fourth pillar is going to be election day. And then everybody's going to know about what's going on. And that's where my focus is going to be. And we're going to drive engagement. Don't know who the candidate is, but you damn sure know when election day is. See, but but then there's another part of it. And I agree with what you're saying. I, I'm, I'm not knocking the premise of it, right? Mm-hmm. But then the reality of it is this. We have a dynamic of how people vote that's consistently changing and shifting, mm-hmm. right? So 2020, the pandemic year, pand- pandemic election for the most part, you end up having a, a situation where not a lot of people canvassing and everybody doing digital Zoom meetings, candidate forms, all type of stuff, right? Right. And you end up seeing a shift to, to say, okay, cool. Typically, you have a certain amount of people who vote absentee, early voting, election day. Right. You end up seeing a shift of people who vote typically early and on election day voting via absentee, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And that kind of shift has quietly got to a point of saying, okay, where are we allocating resources? Are we allocating resources towards mail? Are we allocating resources towards get out to vote and souls to the polls? Or are we going to go towards election day? I'm one of those guys that I voted absentee, but I prefer election day, yeah. right? And even though I voted in all three stages, I've done early voting. It's kind of like I may go early vote if it's like one of those days, like, you know what? I feel good today. Let me go vote. Right. Right. I already at the polls working for a campaign. But typically, I'm an election day voter. So another aspect of it is it's like, OK, we can put the resources out there, but we don't know how people are really voting because it's kind of like, OK, you have the anomaly <clears throat> of the 2020 election. Then you have these local elections and you kind of really see, OK, compare apples to apples, oranges to oranges where people voting, how are they voting, then it's more of a fact of, okay, we could put the resources out there, but we don't, we don't 100% know that everybody's going to come out to vote. Right. But, and it really isn't until those absentees start coming in and you really see it. Like, wait a minute. A lot of people voting via uh, absentee. absentee versus early, low turnout on election day, whatever. And you kind of balance it out. But I think it's still kind of that, that shift to people really switching from early voters to absentees and those election day voters either picking early or absentee or sticking with election, that's really kind of causing some of the shift breakdown on where to spend money and really engage some folks. But at the same time, I do, I do go back to agree with what you're saying is like, if there's a way to engage more people and let them know that an election's happening, having 10 debates or whatever, it only helps to educate folks to let them know. But if you don't want them to know, then you're not going to push forward after to let them know. Right. And it, so I, I love that you gave the breakdown on, we have as a candidate, you have to evaluate. You're right. This election was fascinating because you saw a lot of people were still, you know, large swings of absentee voting to the point where by seven thirty, seven twenty six, actually, they call the election, mm-hmm. which is the earliest I've ever seen them call a state ele- a state election. Like they called it as I wasn't even home. I was on my way to um, Aramis house mm-hmm. and I get a notification election Charlie Chris, Charlie Chris did nominate nominate. I was like, God damn. I was like, yeah, yeah. I was yeah. like the polls closed 26 minutes ago, you know, right. but to that point, a lot of people have already um, voted absentee and in that absentee ballot, you know, it was, it, it showed that shift of voter to your point. I've already made the decision weeks ahead of time. Right. Yeah. So you're dealing with that contingent of voters, but let's talk about the voters who didn't even know there was an election or didn't care. Right. The, the apathy in it was really, really fascinating. I, I forget the number, but I think there was like over like 500,000 people didn't even return their damn ballots. 
which which is another issue that that typical people don't really focus on, right? Right. Um, I would say it comes down to the data because Democrats use Van. I hate Van. Yeah. Um, I use a program called L two, and it actually shows you like, okay, cool. Somebody requested a ballot. Some people return that ballot. It gets canceled, or like maybe a signature didn't match, right? Or whatever, or, or it gets rejected. But then you end up do have people who request and they sit on it. But then it's more a fact of okay, maybe those last minute vacation, they're out of town, they planned on it, and it never happened. But that's just another aspect of you fund it. Like, oh, you know what? We're gonna chase absentees. You calling people all day, and it's like you can't get them to return the ballot. They're still thinking about it because. I don't think it ends up being as important because there's confusion. There's not enough messaging. And then people still think in November anyway, right. even though the August primary is supposed to be like the cream of the crop voters right. throughout the state, you still have some slackers who just not return the ballot in general. Right. And that could, in a close race, that really does make a huge impact. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's talk about, you know, the elephant in the room. I have an opinion on what, why I think um, Nikki lost. Oh, let's talk about it. Let's go. <laughs> Philip just got he's just he just perked up. He just <laughs> let's perked, talk about it. He's perked up. So, all right. So, I um I didn't say this before, but this was probably a couple days before the before the election. I was telling telling somebody on the staff. I said, you know, my problem is cuz we're talking about well maybe Nikki will have that Andrew Gillum surge. I said, "Well, here's the thing about that. What I knew Andrew's going to win, because I knew one thing that a lot of people did not recognize. Andrew had a base. And I'll say even more further, Andrew had a base of FAMU black people. I said, mm-hmm. so I said, no matter what's going to happen, them Rattlers are going to show up to the polls. Right. Because we will support our own. And then you have people who were, you may not be a Rattler, but I fuck with HBCU hard. Mm. So yeah. I'm going to show up on a poll Because that's an HBCU grad Right right, right. And I said 2018 I said you know what I'm, I was confident about About Andrew Because I knew his, I knew what his base was I can, I can smell it I can pinpoint it I can touch it I knew what his base was mm-hmm. I said my problem with Nikki And I told the person at the camp On this campaign all the, you know, and it's the days before the campaign, so they're like, I don't want any more negative thing. But I was like, I'll just give my my opinion. Facts can never be negative. Facts right. can always be positive. Right. Go ahead. So I said, <laughs> my problem with Nikki is that she doesn't have a base. Now, they rebuttal like, no, she has white women. I said, here's the problem with that. <laughs> I don't trust white women for to vote on anything. It's, Rosewood can't trust it. I'm oh, sorry. Yeah. Especially when it comes to voting for another woman. <laughs> so I said to myself, if Nikki is, is, you know, if she's hoping and pinning her hopes and dreams on the turnout of white women, white women have shown you throughout history that they will choose patriarchy over their own gender mm-hmm. nine times out of 10 and 10 times out of 10 on a Sunday. That's my thought. That was my thoughts. I said, well, you know, well, you know, women's issues. I said, I get all that. But there's a reason why the Supreme Court's the way it is. Because white women will choose patriarchy 
over themselves. And then they will cry like, I can't believe this is happening. All these things are against my rights. I'm like, Becky, you bought the damn product. <laughs> like, right. what are you complaining about? This is your product. Right. You bought it. Right. You, you decided to, this is what you wanted. So don't come to me talking about I'm surprised. Right? So that was my contention going in. Now, there was other things, too. Um, obviously, um, and I don't want to kick dirt on her. Can I, first of all, I, I'm appreciative of her as a candidate. I'm appreciative that, number one, I appreciate that she allowed me in. Mm-hmm. I'm appreciative that she allowed me to back her. I'm appreciative that she decided to run in a very tough election. Mm-hmm. And I don't think a lot of people understand this, too. She had enough character, not not only the night of, to go on NBC, MSNBC, and, um, you know, uh, advocate proudly for Charlie, but the day after. I mean, yeah, yeah. I that. yeah you know what I mean because Char- because honestly, Charlie wouldn't have done that. He wouldn't have he wouldn't have gone on the day after, especially the night, and be like, "You guys need to go for like he he, he he's this is not what he would have done," and so. You know, I, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Yeah. Give you that. So that's kind of where I'm at with it. I, my problems again with the campaign too is that you know they they didn't fundraise properly and they started off pretty poorly and they I don't think they really found their sea legs until way in the eleventh hour, a ten and a half hour, and by that time the dust has already been settled and the the lights have already come on and people have already made their decisions. But I yeah. feel all that to say now, Philip, you've been chopping at the bit. You tell uh, me. No, I, I got you. I got you. I, I appreciate it. And you know. Again, I don't have no issue with Nikki Free, right? I yeah. think that um, she ran a, a decent campaign. The only issue I have is she's been campaigning for four years, right? Mm-hmm. So it's really kind of a disappointment where you built this narrative of four years of being the only statewide elected Democrat, and you can't even get out the primary. You know, it's like it's right. one of those things, but it's like that ends up there's so many prongs. So you know, you can really build a whole building off of this but it's like you were elected four years you didn't really build a base throughout the state with democrats right so that's that's one aspect why you didn't make it out the primary the second thing is kind of like we said last time you're only talking to your ex you're talking about your ex on your first date yeah so everything's been DeSantis. everything's Ron DeSantis. it's never right. been a fact of hi i'm nikki free here's what i'm doing for you right out of the gas pumps outside of you know gun permits whatever right and then it's like Honestly, and they taught me this in um, CBC boot camp, you got to have a message that resonates with folks. I agree. Right? That, that, that everyday people can kind of grasp onto. And what you end up seeing is that, that something new wasn't for the average Caribbean mother or white, black mother, South Florida, Central Florida, wherever. It was for people on Twitter in the campaign sphere or, or the political sphere, right? Right. So where it's like, oh, you only have people in the political atmosphere who are saying something new. People don't want something new. They want their damn rent paid. They want lights paid. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. where, where's something new? To, where the check cat? You know what I'm saying? That's what right. people are looking for. Right. They're not looking for the nonsense. And it's more of a fact that if you had a message that actually resonated with folks I over agree. time. I agree. Then it's more of a fact of, you know what? Yeah, Nikki, she's been saying this more affordable Florida thing for four years, right? But she wasn't. But she wasn't. Yeah. So it's more of a fact of when you when you are put in a position to lead, which she was, she was elected statewide, 
But it's like you you're in that leadership spot. I think it gets kind of hard because you're really kind of looking for your next bill, your next check, your next opportunity. And she kind of lined it up to be governor. Now, I'll say this. You talked about the surge and. and Damn it, I'm going to have to do it. Kevin Kate for the shit. I'm sorry. Her, her comms consultant. Right. Because that's the Gillum surge and the Nikki surge are two different things. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Gillum surge was we could actually nominate a black man for governor in the state. Right. Who served as SGA president of FAMU, served in the city of Tallahassee, has roots in Central Florida and Gainesville, has roots to Miami, is personable, conversationable, everything else. And this is before South Beach and Miami and GQ articles and, and the indictment, right? Right, right. This is a polished guy. Right. So that's one thing. And he had a, he had a charisma that people could, could gravitate right. to. And the difference was you have Chris King, who just had money, yeah. whatever, right? Mm-hmm. You have Gwen Graham, who's running on her daddy's name, and you right. have Gillum, right. who was telling his narrative to be like, listen. And he, had, and he also had Philip, who was the former mayor of Miami. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Philip Levine, right? So it's yeah. kind of like, you get the the rich mayor. You get the down home guy. Like I never want to do this. My grandma told me to go serve, and you got Gwen Graham, who like, listen, I'm riding my daddy coattail. We're gonna ride this thing to the end, right? Right. And that kind of at least helped settle the surge. And there was another guy who jumped in, a rich guy, yeah, from South Florida. Yeah. Can't remember, his, but he he got in to split the uh was that, the white boat. Was that Alan Grayson? Not Grayson. It was another guy from Palm Beach. I oh, I know what you're talking about. Um, I know you're talking about. I know you're talking about. He's like a billionaire, Green. Jeff Green. That's him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah Jeff yeah, Green. Yeah. So Jeff Green got in, split some of the vote, and, and that's what kind of at least helped the surge. With Nikki, it's one-on-one. It's a 50-50. It's, it's LeBron versus KD, right? Right. So it's not necessarily a conversation of, oh, a First surge. of all, n- neither of them are LeBron or KD, but keep going. You, you're right. Larry Bird and John Havlicek, uh, or Sue Bird and uh, Sue Bird and Jerry West. Jesus How Christ. About you keep going. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I was just saying that they weren't LeBron and KD. You ain't got to kick dirt on them. God bless right. it. <laughs> Sue Bird and Jerry West out here. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> uh, all in all, I so, think that Nikki's problem was she campaigned for four years. She didn't really establish herself. Yeah. And that's what Charlie could come in and be like, listen, you know me. I'm an old Republican governor, personable. And she never really connected. Now, I, I do agree with you. I don't think that you can have a singular group of uh, not only women, not to say it in kind of not sexist. I don't think you can have a singular group of white women or women or just one set of coalition that's going to take you across the state, like across the board. Right. Yeah. You have to have those coalitions. And, and you can kind of see that not only the money piece wasn't coming in. Yeah. Also a factor when you have no black elected officials who are touting your endorsement, but you're saying, oh, we're Demo- we're endorsed by the Democratic um, Black Caucus. Like, bro, who is that, right? Right. So, all in all, it's, it's more of like a... Well, I'm going to I'm I'm push back on that. Just give a shot. I have friends who are state leaders, but I'll just say this. I've never seen somebody vote because of Black State leader or local leader, be like vote for. Oh, them. very true. Oh, that, that's very true. Yeah, yeah. very true. <laughs> they don't yeah, have yeah. the juice. This ain't you know what I'm saying. They're not. They're not pocking. You know what I mean? In juice, like they don't have the juice. All right. Right. I'm right. sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Charlie Murphy. No, no, it's real. No, that, that's all the way real. Because, but it's more of a fact of I guess things that, the straws you can reach for. Right. You, you pulling for and be like, oh, we have support. Right. It's not there. Right. Even talking to some of the campaign, they're like, you know, the, the money comes in late if you study our. 
ourselves the money comes in late toward the end of the month. I'm like, listen, bro, if you're running statewide, there is no end of the month money coming in. That money coming in all day, every day. Like yeah. we're the third largest state in the country. So yeah. if your money not rolling in, you're not winning. Right. Period. Right. But I think all in all, Nikki's problem was she just campaigned forever and, and nobody got to know her. So I, I, I'm going to um, pivot off to of Nikki, but I do want to make sure we're clear okay. here. Not pivot off, but I want to say when I talk to candidates, I always say this. Like, I can tell when I look at a candidate, when I hear their message, I'm like, mm, that's not going to work. And right. I always say that when I look at a candidate, I hear the message, I'm like, you're not going to win because I don't, I don't trust your message. Your message has to be clear. And if I'm not feeling it, and it has to resonate. And it can't be some message that was created in some think tank. It right. has to be in a message that you know that, you know, you know, affordable Florida. That's a that's a great message. But that's not that's not a message you 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 have to run on that and you have to explain that to people. Right. And I think there was a lot of things she didn't early on she didn't uh, uh, run on or explain properly. And you know, Charlie Stick was I'm you know, I'm a good old boy and you guys you know me. You know, and I right. think when you're compared when you were comparing the two, when you're like, I don't understand this candidate, but I know who this is. I'm going to go with the person that I'm familiar with. Because mm-hmm. I was one person I was talking to, highly educated voter, and she said something really remarkable to me. It was like a couple of weeks before the election. She said, uh, yeah, I've heard of Nikki, but is she talking to me, though? I was like, that's a fascinating statement. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I was like, yeah. I didn't even answer that. I was just like, you know, when you, when voters say stuff like that to you, you have to like, it sticks. Yeah. It sticks. Like, why don't you think she's talking to you? You know? Yeah. That was a weird state. Not a weird, but it was a great statement. And I think that to me stuck with me. And if I'm anything, I'm gonna be thinking about that for years. Are they talking to talking to the right people? Not just Twitter. Right. Right. Are they talking to the right people about this message? Um unpopular opinion. This is my podcast and this is episode ninety seven, so I don't really care. Hey, go off. Um, I think that she would have stuck with, you know, on cannabis and really wrote that out. It would have been a better messaging because I think she would have at least generated more of base. Uh, and yeah, she didn't want to be, she wanted to be considered a serious candidate, but I think people would have been like, okay, well you're the, you're quote unquote, you're the weed, weed candidate. Like, well, what, what's, what's that about? You know, right, right. I you know, you. and I think it would have given more of a base. I'm not saying that's what have put her over the top. I'm not saying all that, but I think you went away. You ran on that in 2018, mm-hmm. and you went away from that for the last four years. And so I think there was a also disconnect on that as well. But go ahead. I, I don't agree with that. I don't know if cannabis would have actually pushed her over the top, but it would have been more of a conversation starter. It would have separated you or differentiated you from Charlie. Because it could have been a, a thing that says, you know what, Charlie, why didn't you do it when you were governor? Why haven't you done it your whole career? And it, th- that can really stick. Um, I'm not, it, yeah, I'm not saying it would have won. She would have been in the helmet. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. But it, it would have been a good conversation started to eventually kind of go into, okay, not only do I want recreational marijuana in Florida, but I want to have a fun education. I want to make sure minorities get a business aspect. Yeah. You could kind of break that off to talk about healthcare, education, Absolutely. jobs. Absolutely. Of everything and how we can be more competitive with other states that have recreational or more looser medical right laws. However, 
it's kind of one of those things where you don't want to be that one trick pony and be like, listen, I'm going to be putting this box in, be labeled as a crazy weed lady at the same time, which I kind of get. But it's kind of it's really like you have four years to make up a message. That's that's kind of where I'm at with it. You have four years. Yeah, to you know what I'm saying. <laughs> you like you really blew the bag at this point because you were elected statewide. Yeah, only Democrat elected statewide since like the nineties. Yeah, right. Oh, no, Alex Singh. Excuse me. Yeah. Right. So, all in all, it's like everything that you could have said and done. And, and the issue is, I agree with you. If she would have ran marijuana two years ago to start her real her campaign for governor, would have been good. But then as you see the economy and the supply chain and all these yeah. things happen, you shift that conversation. Absolutely. Over. Like, you know what? I, I'm more versed. And yeah, you know me as a weed lady, but I'm worried about your homeowners. Insurance. Right, I'm right, right. Because I think we said last time, talk to people's pockets. Yeah. And you're not something new. Yeah. I'm looking for a bill. What are we talking about? Like, right, right. Like, how can you help me economically? And I think that's I think that is the uh, the real conversation that we're going there. So, all right. So we've. Dissected that. Sure. Let's move on to Uncle Charlie. Um, so I don't know. Have you been, you know, if you watched this thing where he said, oh, I don't want, you know, Floridians, if you voted for DeSantis and, you know, then stay over there and blah, 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 blah. And I thought. Deplorables. I deplo- it, was, it was literally the deplorable statement. And I was just like, my brother in Christ, <laughs> my brother in Chris. My brother and Chris, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why would you say that? Not even twenty four <laughs> hours after. I like that. My brother and Chris. <laughs> Why would you say that? Not even twenty four hours after getting the nomination, when you know the numbers don't add up for you even say something stupid like that. He he about to monkey his thing up, man. He literally about the monkey in it, and I was like, <laughs> I was like, bro, I was like. You're you're you campaign on bringing people over. That was your thing in the primary. I can convert people over, and I feel like Charlie's um, entire appeal was that I'm the nice guy that people want to vote for. Mm-hmm. And I think he has to really figure out what he wants to be in his primary. I don't think 11 weeks is enough time. But as someone said, he has to decide, he has to decide if he's going to be the happy warrior. The happy warrior, or he's going to be the attacker. But you know, the happy guy, the happy warrior, being like, "Hey, everybody loves Charlie, come vote," or he's going to be the attacker on DeSantis. But you can't be both. You can't be both. Not with eleven weeks. You got to figure this out. I, I think that's it, and I think Charlie's leash to attack folks is really kind of slim because he was governor during the last recession, mm-hmm. right? So when Florida was losing jobs having to raise a license plate and, and all the other fees just to make the balanced budget, sweeping the Sadowski trust fund and all these other things. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was leader of the helm at that point. Right. So if he starts attacking, they could just turn back to everything that he did. You right? don't and, say really. Yeah. I didn't so think, I didn't think about that. Really? They were, yeah, used, they so, were used Republic Republicans were used Republican shit on him. That's amazing. I never <laughs> thought, I never thought about that. Go ahead. Keep going. Right. 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 <laughs> So he, he could essentially take that, but it, it is what you're saying is a good counter. It's like, listen, I did it because it was another party. It, it, it was right. a different Republican party then. Right. But I don't think it holds weight against this, this MAGA base. No. Um, but then at the same time, it's like, we haven't learned from Hillary in the deplorables comment that 
we can't just attack these people and expect them not to be energized, right? Exactly. It's kind of like, say it again? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. So it, it's kind of like they'll attack progressives and say, you know what? The Green New Deal is going to cost $2 trillion. You can't pay for it. Everything you're saying doesn't make sense or whatever, right? And then the progressives will get the pennies in a bunch and, and really go about and just be upset. Oh, my God, they hate America. They're taking America back. But the other side, you go call them deplorables or whatever. It's like, wait, they're attacking me? Oh, shit, I'm going to show up now. I'm, I'm really going to show up. Oh, you thought I was crazy before. Oh, wait till you see crazy, crazy, right? And that's when we end up having more, not to protest, but because, you know, black people protest. White folks just have a a peaceful gathering waving flags over the interstate, right? <laughs> so when when those start happening, it's gonna just get their base moving, and all of a sudden it's like, you know what? We're we're then at a race war. Not to say that Charlie's comments w- will cause that, but it ends up being a, a divisive piece of if you're not with us, you're against us. So we're gonna attack you anyway. And and you know, you know, I'm sorry, you know, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Bill. What was really dumb about that was not only do Republicans outnumber us in registered voters, but there's also the people who are like, I'm not even a Republican. I just I don't have an opinion. I but I don't mind. I don't mind DeSantis. And which, which is I think like we said last time we elect leaders, right? Yeah. Half the people. They would they would rather elect somebody like DeSantis because it's like, you know what? I want to I want to elect somebody that's going to fight for me. Right, but then the other part of it is, people really on Twitter at least, UNF released a poll showing that Nikki would win, right? Mm-hmm. And everybody kind of threw it out of the water. Out of forty polls, is the only one either they're dead right or they're dead wrong. Right, end up being dead wrong. The issue ends up being this: if you look at the poll outside of the candidates and you look at the issues, you'll see that Republicans and Independents care about the cost of living, right? Mm-hmm. While I think it's at thirty-eight, forty percent. Yeah. While Democrats were like low 30s, 32, 31%. Yeah. We had higher higher people caring about the environment. Yeah. But then when you got down to who people would vote for, 51% of independents said they would vote for DeSantis over Nikki or Charlie. Oh. Right? Yeah. So it, it really gets to a point of what you were saying earlier about FDP and the messaging and things like that. It's like, okay, if people care about the cost of living, right? why are we talking about the cost of living? Right? right? <laughs> I, I get it. Roll to vote, women's rights, health care. I understand it. But that's but again, not moving the needle, bro. Exactly. Yeah. And abortion's not gonna pay the rent. No. I'm sorry. No. Right? So it's it's one of the, as it, from an issue standpoint, yeah. right? Just, just to clarify for your listeners. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like if we keep talking about CRT, yeah. don't say gay, yeah. DeSantis. Cultural, yeah. Cultural issues or even Look at all the people that died from COVID under DeSantis's watch. It's like, listen, we're not going to put it on any Democrat or Republican. You can't put a dead body on somebody's like, yeah, some elected official. Yeah. At the same time, you could say, you know what, maybe his policies and something could have been different. But he even admitted, like, you know what, I shouldn't have followed Trump. I should have did our own thing. We can all err. We're all err. We're all human. But human is to err. Err is to human. Yeah. Yeah. It's human to err. Yeah. Right. So. All that is there, but at the same time, it's like we're not messaging to what people actually want to hear. Mm-hmm. And that's where the stance of the Republicans or independents will be like, you know what? I'm not so far for the but he's really not a bad guy. Or even barbershops. 
I, I don't know. We talked about it in a separate conversation. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, th- and that's kind of where I'm at with it. Like, you met, you hit the nail on the head. 51% of people, they fuck with DeSantis. The independents. Right. Independents. Not Democrats. I'm talking about independents. Right. And so, like, and those are people who, like, I openly, he said, yeah, I, I rock with him. And you already know how polling is. Then there's always, like, a 5 to 6% people who, like, I don't want to let you know. But, you know, this is what I really think. So you always have to put in, like, mm, there's, like, a good 58, 59% of people, independents, who believe in what DeSantis is doing to the point where they're like, I don't like all the other crazy shit he does, did, but, um, you know, and I'm and this is, again, the podcast that nobody watched. Right? Well, I don't say nobody watched, but not enough people watched. But I remember I talked with a small business owner, and he was said, like, listen, um, I don't like DeSantis, but I will vote for him because he kept my business open. Right. And I'm a Democrat. Right. right. You know, and I'm a black man. And if I would have been in New York or California, I would have lost my business and my the way to to um raise my family. Feed my family. Feed my family. Right. And when I presented that to him, the current gubernatorial Democratic candidate, he was very dismissive, like, oh, a black person said no. You know, he was so dismissive. Like Joe Biden, you can't be black. You can't be black. And I was like, (laughs) and I'm like, you can't talk about voters like that, bro. Because these are real people, real issues. Right. You know, that's a problem. You're not black. Yeah. But you know, like, that's the thing. And that's what worries me. And that is what worries me about Chris. Like, you have a blind spot to a contingent of voters who are not racist, they're not Mm -hmm. bigoted, they're not angry. They just want to focus on things that matter to them, right? And you have to be able to talk to them. Don't need a, you don't need to talk to the the, the Democratic base because they're either going to fuck with you or not. Fuck. But you need to talk to the people that are that are tentative that you need to win over, you know, because they don't want Florida to be like a California or New York, right? And, and I think for those eleven weeks, and you just hit it on the head for real, Democrats are gonna rock with you anyway. Yeah. Right. Like 80, 90 percent of Democrats, every poll are anti DeSantis. Only 10 yeah. percent of us. I, I, I'm quietly probably in that moderate yeah. group right? yeah. who would probably vote for DeSantis. But the reality of it is you have the Democrats on lock. This 11 week stretch should only be talking independence. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because you need as many of those votes to kind of flip over or at least secure. But what are you selling them besides you're the former governor? Right. Like, like what what is that to really put? Because. And I don't know if this will be a part of it, but I want to at least highlight this point. No, yeah, at least. yeah. DeSantis's power in the primary was really shown because I'm quite sure you know that they have like this these GOP hubs that they're putting in all the black communities throughout the state. Yeah. And you end up having, I want to say now, three uh black Republicans elected to the state house. Yeah. Um Bernie Jacques, uh Keon, Keon, I can't remember her name. Uh, represent St. John's and you have uh, Webster Barnaby who's coming back um, who'll be Elizabeth Federoff I want to say by I want to say they're in a recount now so that that could still be a toss up but it's a fact of we don't just get the and I don't want to say Uncle Tom because people say Uncle Tom's like Uncle Tom's cabin but they really haven't read the book yeah. So it's kind of like I don't want to say. I, I know like, what you mean. I hate I hate using the term Uncle Tom because you feel me? Yeah, people don't yeah, don't really. They've never read the book. They've never read the book, and they yeah. Right, they don't read it. So they say it, and it's kind of like just say Uncle Ruckus, right? So yeah, instead like of having yeah. Uncle Ruckus Republican put in, he's actually getting some middle of the ground folks who are like, you know what? 
they'll come in and, and, and do a good job, at least for saying, you may think that these are some redneck Republicans, but they'll elect black leaders. Right. And I think that that sends a stronger message, especially when they're targeting the Lorraine Ozzie seat uh, with Corey Simon running for Senate mm-hmm. um, to say, you know what, if we can get white folks in St. Pete, Tampa Bay, Naples, Jacksonville, St. John's and other folks where these Republican strongholds are to vote for a black candidate, then they can work in the rural parts of Florida, too, yeah. which ends up being a- another thing that not only showed DeSantis's power, but also for the fact of where the GOP or the, the movement is, because there is a, a factor that says, you know what, I could be a Democrat, but if there's a good, solid Republican who's black that I fuck with, sorry for cussing, but to be real, no, you can fuck. I'll, we, I'll vote for him. We speak French on here. Oh, it, love aujourd'hui, right? So, um, <laughs> all in all, it's like if black folks can end up electing more black Republicans. And these Republican or even even crossover districts, that'll really set the Democratic Party back a little further, only because it's like now you're fighting for the base of votes that you really need to win a um a recount. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um I was thinking about I think about a number of different things, but um I I sent you a screenshot of this guy who is a big Charlie Chris supporter. Philip, mm-hmm. you know, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, oh, what's the name? Let me see. Let me go back over our text messages. Um, Peter Swart, Swart, whatever from Florida politics. Yeah. yeah. I was a lot to dissect with that tweet, and I, I don't know if people saw, but I'm saying a lot of us were faced with the prospect of having to vote for Andrew Gillum, cast a ballot for DeSantis in 2018. I hope Charlie walks one back when you talk about we don't want if you have um. If you back Ron DeSantis, we don't want you. Yeah. There's a lot to dissect with that. Number one, you talked about there are a lot of voters who, you know, there may not be abject racist, but they just appeal to Ron DeSantis and his leadership style. Mm-hmm. But the problem I had with with Peter is that he was a paid consultant for the for the Chris campaign. And that's not even a problem. I mean, it is whatever. But... What you have here is that you had a person who never even voted for Gillum. You had people who were not, weren't quote unquote real Democrats who were telling us that this is the real Democrat that you need to vote for. Now, I don't care about whether or not Chris is a real Democrat. I don't even, that's, that issue has already been created. That's already, I mean, been settled as far as I'm concerned. Election happened, right? We don't want to relitigate that. Right, right, right. But I have a problem with people. Who are and it doesn't. I'm not just. I'm using Peter as an example. I have a pe- problem with, with people who are uh, wolves in sheep's clothing, projecting to be something else that they're not. Who are very integral within a campaign and promoting messaging, and they're not really about the community in which they're advocating for. And I find you find that happen a lot in politics. We have people who are not really for you, but for some reason they take up the job. And take up the space for somebody who may actually be an advocate. I would say vis-a-vis as Philip, right? Yeah. Right? And they take up a space for that. And I'm not saying you and Peter would have the same job. I but, use that. I'm, but, I'm with you. but there are a lot of people who take up spaces who are not really for the community. And you've come to find out, like, you guys really weren't rocking with us from the beginning. But here you are now as the main 
a progenitor of this particular campaign. And you're the reason why we got, you're one of the reasons why we got where we're at with DeSantis because you couldn't, quote unquote, you, between choosing Gillum and Ron DeSantis, I chose Ron DeSantis. Like that was a, like that wasn't the flex you think it was. Yeah, it, it wasn't. And I'll tell you this. I, I heard this from um, Susie Wiles, uh, OG Gangs on the Republican side. You could tell race played a major factor in the um, mm. Gillum race last time. Mm-hmm. And at first, you know, she asked me the question and she was like, you know what, do you think it was? I'm like, no, nah, you know, I'm just trying to be, you know, the good, good, wholesome black guy. Hell no, nah, race didn't play a role. She was like, hell yeah, it did. She was like, look at the, diff- the difference between what Bill Nelson got and what Andrew Gillum got. Those mm-hmm. 20,000 vote differences, racism right there. So, so you could see it, right? Right. So when you have Peter Schwartz, well, I don't have a problem with it. I don't have a problem with Peter. You know, he does what he has, has to do making money in, in a profitable area, right? Right. It's pay to play because how can I say? It's only a select few of people who are actually paying attention to what he's saying, right? right. And it's not, not, not Peter or, or Florida politics, but what I mean is that if we're in the political sphere, if we're in the news, if we, if we care about people, Florida politics, not his brand, but in general, the, the culture, the, the operations of the profession, then we'll pay attention to what he says, right? Right. But the average Joe Schmo isn't listening to him. They're, they're going to listen to Jill Tracy or uh, the New Miami Times, Miami Herald, whoever their trusted news source is from Melissa um, Ross in Jacksonville or whoever. That's who they're going to trust, right? So Peter has a role, but all he's doing in that tweet is basically highlighting the fact of what black folks already kind of know. It's like, listen, there's an ingrained nature that says, I'm just going to find a reason to vote against the black guy. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And regardless of what it is, it could have been an FBI investigation. It could have been Adam Corey. It could have been whatever. Peter been the main guy who's been anti-Andrew even after the race, even after Miami, right. even after the GQ article. So it's kind of like, I get it, but you're not, like you're saying, you're not winning me over with that because you're just laying out how you already feel. The bigger problem is I'll just be, I'll just be frank. I don't think there's it's enough of our voices in this space to diffuse and check that bullshit for what it is. I agree. Right? Because I agree. Charlie saying that, like we already said, is an, it's another deplorable conversation. But there has to come a point where you stop using this black man as a, I guess, a piece of bait to make your point. Mm. Right? There's no point for you to bring Andrew up in a situation with DeSantis because we know Andrew's situation right now. Right. Like we know we know that there's nothing that Charlie would say that will be, let me just jump back, because I, I kind of did a jab earlier. When DeSantis said the monkey up comments, that was more dis- divisive on what Charlie Chris said right. than anything, right? Right. So what's the point of bringing Andrew into the situation on how you voted if Andrew didn't say anything as divisive as DeSantis did with the monkey up comment, right? Right. So when you look at it, it's like, just compare two white men for saying some outlandish ass shit. Right. Don't bring the black guy in just to make a point. Right. Right. So that's the part where it's kind of like, I hear what you're saying, but how about somebody punching your shit and pun- you stop saying the shit because it doesn't make sense for you to keep bringing this guy up. He's really punching down. He was, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Pun- I mean, he was punching down. And then, you know, it's, it's like, yo, you're right. Nobody listens to Peter in the grand scheme of the year. He had like 10 retweets. Right. 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 Um, but I just thought it was very fascinating to your point. There's not enough people in this space, political space, black people 
that have a voice and that, you know, we just don't have a voice. We don't really, you know, nobody listens to us. A lot of white consultants get up in there and then they create um, narratives within campaigns and messaging. And then you sit there as you're watching from the outside looking in like that's not going to register with black people. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what y'all thought when y'all made this shit, but get a refund. Yeah, that's not that's not helping. You might think you have, you might think that's the one, but it's not. Um, mm. It might, reminds me of uh, though, like uh, uh, Whitney M. Young, and I'm gonna quote. I'm gonna get my boy Jason Henry. He he's the one who um, said the statement. L- Whitney Young said, "Liberalism seems to be related to the distance people are from the problem." Mm. I repeat, repeat that. Whitney M. Young said. Liberalism seems to be related to the distance people are from the problem. And that is how politics usually, especially in Florida, that there's always a distance away from black people, you know, and that's, but they're considered progressives, but they're not, they don't touch black people. They don't. Well, I, I, I'll, I'll say this. They've been around since at least the fifties because Dr. King, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, I want to say James Baldwin, have been like against the white liberals who come to the black communities and kind of really try to push this narrative on some shit that we don't really benefit from. It only benefits them. That, 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 that was the only thing I want to briefly jump in. Oh, no, no, yeah, 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 for sure. But, you know, to that point, um, we need more of me. We need more people in the, in the space. Mm-hmm. And we don't all, we're not a monolithic. We don't all have to agree, but we need more of us in this space that are willing to check somebody willing to correct a candidate on a messaging and willing to say like, this is something you're missing right now. You're not, you don't see it. You don't see what you, and honestly, I always say you need black people on your campaign, like real, like hard, like real black people, because black people have the ability to read things that other people can't see. Right. I made a joke. I was in Key West and I was talking to this, um, white person I said he didn't I, I said, and I was like joking I was like man Key West is like the white trailer trash heaven man I didn't know I didn't know like all this party it was great and I, I joked with him I was like yo like y'all didn't tell us y'all, y'all ain't telling black people about Key West enough right 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 and I said tell me some more black secrets and he was joking and I mean tell me some more, more white secrets and he said well do you tell me some black secrets I said you want to you want to know real black secrets I said listen in. Let me tell you. I leaned in on him let me tell you a black secret all black people are psychics and have ESP. And he's like, what? I said, I'm telling you. All black people mm-hmm. have ESP. And he said, what do you mean? I said, think about it. I said, and I said, I mean, and I'll tell you, the more white people in the room, the greater our powers are. And he said, I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't understand. I said, I'm going to tell you how this is how it works. A black person will get in a room full of white people and then they will see another black person walk in and every black person will look at the other black person and we know exactly what that person is thinking yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, damn, eh? we're the only ones in this bitch yeah, like, and, we're, and we're watching the entire scenario having a conversation between each other without uttering a single, single word, word. And we're all we're communicating with our eyes and our nods and our looks. And I said, yeah. all black people have a conversation in a room full of white people that you would never hear. And I said, that's 
because we all have psychic ability and the, and the more minority we are in the space, the greater our powers. Yeah, that, that, that's that's all the way real. Uh, and I, I would say it's not even a fact of because some people may look at it as being uncomfortable. Um, I don't think we're ever uncomfortable in those situations or those rooms. It's just a fact of we know how to maneuver. Mm-hmm. And I think that what you're saying is when you have someone who, and I think we said it last time, we have someone who hasn't walked on eggshells but has, has been observant mm-hmm. of cultures and people, and they get into a situation where they have to analyze how cultures and pe- culture and people will look at a palm card or look at a commercial or look at yeah. some messaging you say. They can see the the ingrained part of okay, cool. This is gonna offend that grandmother that's working overnight. This right. is gonna offend right. the super rednecks because guess what? I know some rednecks and they don't vibe with this. So it's kind of like giving that broader perspective is needed, but not just in politics. It's, it's in all professions because right. that's how we have issues where you know you have H and M pulling clothes down or whatever. It's like. We're not in the conversation to to be had. Say, you know what? Before we push this this marketing campaign out, let's have the black folks look at it, and not just say how the black folks look at it, but to be real, is there anything that you see here, Philip, that could offend people and cause us to lose some money? Right? Hell yeah, scrap this whole idea. Right? Or at least in the beginning stage of, you know what? I hear y'all, but we ain't doing this because, it, you know, I, I hate to say it to be real, right? We live in a society today where you cannot be real because real ends up being negative or hating. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So even when you're given a perspective that people don't agree with, it all of a sudden becomes, oh, they hating on me. They doing this. They doing that. And it's like, no, there's something about someone who's bold enough to tell you the truth that should be commended. Right. And pay top dollar for it because you know what? They're at a point where it's like, you know what? I don't care about the job. I don't care about your feelings. I'm going to tell you exactly how I feel about this and why you shouldn't do it. And that's what we don't have enough of in politics or in other businesses to be like, you know what? We don't need any more. Yes, men. If you don't like a design, you don't like the way things are being rolled out, say something about it. But the issue ends up being, and I've, I've seen it more in this political space where where I've taught my shit about, you know, the white guys who don't hire no black folks and nothing like that. You end up talking to folks like, yeah, Phil, you know, I would say something, but I have a job. I have a career. I got yeah. other things I need to do where I can't go out and say what you need to say. And I think that double edged sword is you kind of you kind of have to ride that fence of, OK, am I going to lose my job about saying how I feel? But at the same time, if you're in those inner workings and you can't get fired, say how you feel, because there has to be a part of you that's reflected so that other people, when they see the message outside, they know that somebody black saw it first because th- there's no issues when they have that message or that ad or whatever running across them you know that they, they automatically resonate and draw towards it but without us in the room it doesn't happen i agree and i would say that again piggyback off of that you know campaigns you talked about h&m i talked about just campaigns messaging mm-hmm. um and we'll i want to get into this race in a second uh but my girl aramis mm-hmm. and i remember in 2016 um, it was just us. Like, you know, I say us, it was like Aramis, myself, and like her husband and a couple other people. So mm. I remember her husband was getting ready to put something on Instagram. And he sent me, he sent me like, what do you think about this, bro? I said, absolutely not. <laughs> I said, uh, no. 
this is not going to work. This is not a good message. And I think it's, it, it's just low class. Okay. And he said, all right, yeah, we'll put it out. I remember I was talking to someone on Nikki's campaign. And I said, well, I wouldn't, you know, I, I'm trying to be democratic here. You know, I was, I was thinking about a, a certain message messaging. And they were like, well, I don't really get into telling candidates what to say or do, especially on social media. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, hmm, that's not smart. <laughs> I said, because if I were ever in charge of a candidate, I absolutely would be telling them, this is what you can say. This is what you can't say. You need to run everything by me. Mm-hmm. Because I I need to curate your messaging, and a great candidate has a curated message, and I don't yeah. want to see your authentic self on Twitter because nobody likes our authentic selves. Nobody likes nobody. We're not nobody's nobody should be authentic on social media. Number one, <laughs> nobody should be authentic on social media because when I say that I mean that with tongue in cheek, like. You want to, You don't want to hear like, oh man, these these clients, man, they pissing me off. Like, I don't. We don't want to hear that shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know yeah what you are, you are. Nobody want to hear authentic. So I don't want to hear nobody telling me, well, you got to be authentic on social media. Bullshit. You ain't got to be shit on social media except stage. It's all stage. Stage. It's a stage. I think you needed. You need somebody in there on a number of things, not just social media, but in general about how to. Look at messaging and what is it going to say? That's all I'm going to say about that. I'm trying no, to yeah, I'm right. trying to make sure I'm protecting people's conversations and all that, you know. Um, but talk about. I'm sorry. Do you have you 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 wanted to jump? No, in no, on? no. I I think I know what you're talking about, and I, I don't want to beat a dead horse on that one. Yeah. So I'm good. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's talk about these other statewide races. Mm. Um. Let's start at the top of the ticket. Val and Rubio. It's a good race. Um, I have friends on that campaign as well, so I, I can't be biased. Yeah, and I, I know a lot of elected officials who I used to work with that are really good friends with Marco. So it's kind of split Democrats and Republicans. But I'll say this: I think Val's only problem will be DSCC, the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee. Yeah. Um, and the Democratic Governor Association with Abrams. Because I, I think I said it here before, I've said it at least for a year now. Abrams and Val need to be top market across the country for black women, right? Only because it'll energize the base. Because Charlie's not going to do it, right? Right. Kind of like I was saying earlier about what what um, Andrew lost by, showing like the racism or whatever. That's the same thing that needs to come out here. Like There needs to be a, a showing for Val that energizes every black woman across this state to come out to vote. She'll but get black. She'll get black women. Oh yeah, she she will if if it's advertised right, right. But the only big but is how many black women? <laughs> because again, this race is not heavily. I mean, I'm not. That's not on indictment on Val. It's just mm-hmm. nobody. Nobody's really paying attention like that. Well, right, and that, that's why I'm saying to put a national headline because. For all intents and purposes, Gillum pushed up the this um historical numbers average at, at least yeah. for Democrats and Black folks in eighteen, right? Right. 
Um, wasn't successful, but he ended up pushing the needle up. I feel that if there's a concerted effort with Val and Stacy, where the money actually pushing both of their races to win because they're both running statewide, I think that helps the overall factor of her candidacy of actually winning. Now, I don't think that, and this is from a little bias. She was in Val was in Jacksonville last week. My son took a picture with her, and she literally uh, posted it on her Facebook and Instagram page today. So you know, a little bit of love there towards the campaign. But at the same time, hearing her last week talk about, you know, the disconnect between, you know, some black communities and the police and things of that nature, I think that she can really help resonate with that. The biggest issue is, to be honest, if you're going to hit Marco on anything, it needs to be like something more solid than him missing votes, you know? So let's talk about that. Go ahead. My problem, my, not problem. It's not the right word. My hesitancy on the Val thing is that not enough people hate Rubio. That too. Like, they don't hate him. Like, you talk to people, they don't even, sometimes they forget he even exists. They don't even, like, they don't realize he's a senior senator of Florida. Real quick, yeah. You know, like, Rick Scott gets more visceral reaction from people than Rubio, and he's the junior senator. Um, Rubio is spineless. He has no real core, but he pretty much just, and he doesn't show up to work. And it's because he doesn't show up to work that he just stays out of people's way. Yeah. And he doesn't make waves. He's kind of a buffoon, (laughs) you know, but, Mm. but you're not, buffoons get elected every day, B. You know, like, you know what I'm saying? So, so like, so um, my thing is like with, Rubio, I don't even think it's a Val thing. I think it's like what are the what are going to be the driving factors of getting people because you're going to need big numbers to come out, right? You are. And it's one thing for her to get the Democratic base up. It's one thing to even say. I think she she probably even polls better around around independents. I would assume. I don't. I haven't seen the polling. I haven't either. Not on that one specifically. Yeah, but I I, I would assume she polls better with independence, right? Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is, and she may even poll a little bit better with some. She may get some Republicans, but I don't know if you're going to get enough Republicans to come out in support of her because Republicans always come home, and and that you don't have enough Democrats who are going to be paying attention. And even though she probably polls better in with independents, are they even aware that there's enough there's an election? So that's kind of where I I just don't see the the angry and fervor and as well coupled coupled with the enthusiasm on the Democratic side. That's my only contention on that race. Do you agree or disagree? Yeah, I, I agree, but I think it's kind of a. I know we briefly talked about it last time. I, I know that there was some indecisiveness between she was running for governor, U.S. Senate. Now she's running for U.S. Senate, but it kind of goes back to what you said earlier. Um, but what we, we agreed on is Democrats at least funding some effort of the primary and getting stuff out. How can I say this very nicely? Democrats will support you to get your vote, but they don't want to elect you, right? So for Val even being top of the ticket, it really shows the party base of 
where they feel or how they feel about black candidates serving in these roles, because I feel that she could have got a bigger bankroll a long time ago. Right. Um, even for a factor for messaging could have been stronger all, all the way, not just from the consultant and her team. I just think that the Democrats could have put a lot more effort behind her race, which they haven't. And it's one of those things where she's almost dead in the water because it's like you, you're gonna have to find your own because there's no there's gonna be no immediate help coming to help you in this race against the red wave and Rubio and really riding the, the DeSantis wave. I would say she's have to fight against DeSantis stronger than Rubio. Okay, so now we get to the real b- big issue yeah. is that Rubio is going to run with no daylight between him and DeSantis. And right, right. Rubio and DeSantis is going to, you know, come in with the, he has much fanfare and he has a base. And Rubio is going to make sure that when you see DeSantis, you see me as well. Right. And I think the only thing that could stop DeSantis is the Rolling Star article I read this morning about how Trump keeps saying, I guess, DeSantis is mimicking him. He's just a carbon copy of him or whatever. Trump is the only thing I could see derailing DeSantis and being like, you know what? If he start handpicking different people in different races, which he's not going to do, then it'll be like, you know what? Just running the DeSantis ticket may not be beneficial to you, but it's all in Trump's hand. Uh, you yeah. know what? My thought process on that, why I don't believe, because I've heard other Democrats, not you, I've heard the mm-hmm. Democrats say, well, you know, I think, you know, the, the Trump factor can really hurt DeSantis. I have a very racist idea about how I see this. Talk to me. White people have no loyalty. And so <laughs> when it comes to shit like that, they will not, they, they will drop Trump in a minute to vote for DeSantis in the, in the state race. They are not going to be like, oh, you know, Big Daddy Trump doesn't like DeSantis. They'll be like, mm, I know Big Daddy doesn't like DeSantis, but I like DeSantis. So they're yeah, not yeah, going to yeah. like, they are not going to like sacrifice anything in order to like not make sure DeSantis gets his seat and make sure they see he's the future of the party. They see, and DeSantis knows he's the future of the party. And I'm sure you've heard number of different things in the background. And I've heard that DeSantis has pretty much told people he's running in 2024. Like oh, yeah, it's, yeah. it's like, it's, it's, and that's what really pissed, pissed Trump, pissed Trump off that he's told people like before he was kind of tentative, but the cat's out the bag in the Republican that he told people like, yeah, get your money up. I'm as soon as I get this elect reelection 2024, I'm going to be your candidate. And I need, and he's yeah. been getting donors in New York and in California to fund his 2024 campaign. Right. You've heard the same thing, right? Yeah, same same thing. Okay, yeah. So that's kind of the thing about it. I just don't see, yeah, Trump can come out and say like, oh, don't pick DeSantis, but I think they'll still come out and pick DeSantis. He may hurt numbers by a few percentage, but it's not enough. Yeah, it it won't be enough unless it becomes a close race, but but that would require Val and Charlie. That would be... that will require a hand of Christ to come in, not Chris. Right, right. <laughs> because because um, Charlie's lieutenant governor pick, I mean, I think she did a great job with the unions down in Dade, but I don't see that dry, driving more voters or, or more anything, to be honest. Let's talk about that, okay? Mm-hmm. So he picked her um, for a number of different reasons, Hispanic and in, school, and in the unions. But number one, nobody votes for a candidate based on the, based on the lieutenant governor. I've yet to see it. All facts. Yeah. Number two, 
Um, she her company. She was a vice president of a union that um, gave Charlie five hundred thousand dollars in his campaign. So you know, there's sort of a pay for play type of thing there that people don't really realize. So my thing is, you kind of chose somebody that's really not going to move the needle, but you kind of owed a favor to, right? So that's not going to help you. That's not going to get it in in a, in a general election and. I just, I didn't think it was. It made for poor strategy. The same way it made for poor strategy for Andrew to pick Chris King in 2018, it yeah. made for poor strategy to pick um, this woman for her. From what I heard from some people who know the inner workings of his campaign, they were basically saying, I guess, with Val at the top, Aramis at the top, and this other lady running for ag commissioner, that he didn't want to basically make it all, you know, black and black and white i guess throughout the whole top of the ticket so at least add some diversity in there to help even even kill the rest of these races the problem is that just to be honest even with aramis yeah. they're riding the coattails of this u.s senator of the governor's race yeah. for the most part so it's not really like they're gonna have the bandwidth to say hey here's our own campaign here's what we're doing separate because yeah Democrats need a down ticket initiative in order to win yeah I- so yeah, let's talk about Amherst. I'm a big supporter of hers. I'm mm-hmm. a, I don't know if you you knew that, but yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm a supporter of hers, too. I actually spoke with her early um, when she was considering running for U.S. Senate yeah. before Val made the decision, but at least I'm um, waiting to see what Val did mm-hmm. before she made the decision. So uh, I'm a fan of hers. Um, I think that she, she'll, she'll make it interesting um, – General, especially when her and Moody go go head up for some of the decisions she's made in the past, but um, I'm, I'm a fan still. I'm I'm I say this with all offering the uh, full disclosure that I'm going to be working closely with her campaign, right. and I think I don't think that's a shocking news considering how close Aramis and I are. Not good, huh? Uh, but if I was going to offer, and I've told I told her this on that night, the problem is with Ashley Moody is that she is going to run shoulder to shoulder with DeSantis. Not enough people know who Ashley Moody is, number one, but that could be both a negative and positive thing, but you have 11 weeks to kind of educate people, which is tough, but you're going to have somebody like DeSantis who's going to be pushing Ashley Moody because he's not trying to have anybody on his executive cabinet. That's going to be against him. Well, well that, and I would say we don't know who Ashley Moody is. But the good old boys in Florida do. Um, just off her daddy's name, I want to say her dad was one of the first, not first lawyer, but an old school lawyer from University of Florida, um, a former judge who, if you know anything about the, the judicial cycle in the state of Florida, it's a very tight-knit community that's a very powerful community. So for even you to be the attorney general when your dad was a judge, it's really it really kind of flexes the, the family muscle for the most part, yeah. kind of Gwen Graham, Bob Graham, like we were saying earlier. But I don't think that Moody is actually running on a fact of her own individual piece. No, it's just, she's going to be a, a talking head for writing her daddy's name. And at the same time, ride the, the Santa's coattail. She's an she's a acolyte. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I just think that she's just buying her time to be like, okay, I just need to stay relevant, stay in the press. And eventually run for governor or something else after this. Yeah. Um, overall, I, I, I don't see anything that she's doing now 
hindering her from possibly running for governor next cycle, if not a higher office. I agree. But, but you never know. I agree. I agree. And that's kind of the difficulty that Aram is going to be facing um, against Ashley and including the fact that the, the Democratic Party, you know, is not too well organized to fight against the system that Ashley Moody's benefiting, benefiting from the good old boy network. Yeah. But we're yeah. going to, we're going to give it the more than the college try. We're going to, you know, I, I'm not, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm not, I'm not afraid of anything. So, and so that doesn't, that doesn't bother me. You know, we'll, that, 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 that's the best way to be in campaigns, to be honest, because you got to be fearless to make, you know, decisions that really stick with, with voters. I, I actually think she's playing with house money. Because Moody? no, Aramis. Oh, I got you. I got you. I think she's playing the house money. I, I don't think she can lose in that in the in the sense that like I don't. Uh, she Ashley Moody is such a a uh, um, considered uh, such an indomitable force as far as going to be next to DeSantis that mm-hmm. I think you can you can kind of box with with like you know like let's just let's throw everything at it and just see what we can do. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think you have the luxury of kind of like playing it safe in this race. Right. I don't. I don't think you do either. I know that, and just being frank about, it, I know that she already get hit with the George Soros things, mm-hmm. uh, which you know from the Marquis Floyd case um, and, and things of that nature. I know that essentially the, the death penalty will be an issue that that gets brought up. But I would say, kind of like Andrew Warren, um, who was just the uh, state attorney that DeSantis pulled out recently. Um, it was one of those situations that if Airmans didn't publicly say anything, it probably wouldn't have had the backlash it did, right? About not not uh, pursuing death penalties in cases because of the taxpayer part of it. And if you're not too familiar, and I don't want to quote her, but you can do your own research, but this is just what I'll paraphrase. Essentially, if you get on death row, you can appeal for 10, 15, 20 years the family has to go through this every time. Um, taxpayers have to go through it. You end up paying in the system that essentially keeps people on death row so they never really get executed. So her piece of it was of it was instead of pursuing the death penalty in some cases, I'm just going to keep their ass in jail for the most part, right? So I'm going to sentence them to where I know they can be sentenced, where I know they can be guilty, and they can sit in jail for the rest of their life. The issue ended up being... Um, with Markeith Lloyd, it was a black police officer that ended up being killed um, from him. And, and I want to say he killed his pregnant girlfriend. Mm-hmm. He was on the run, killed the officer. I can't remember her name. Please excuse me um, at the moment. But all in all, it's kind of one of those things where it got painted, not only in the Republican Democratic side of it, but overall, it's like you have this fair skinned black woman who's the state attorney who wasn't, quote unquote, protecting the dark skinned police police officer yeah, woman right yeah 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 right and th- the crazy part about it is that's how subconsciously i guess racist this race may get but at the same time understanding that you know what there's some parts of this that you can agree with aramis and her principles on why she why she does what she does it was in a tough situation for it to be the first case that she actually says this but i don't think that disqualifies her from being an outstanding attorney general I don't think it disqualifies her from being an outstanding elected official in general. Excuse me. Um, but I do feel that 
it's going to be something that's brought up that an answer is going to have to be put out there. Because even when, when I was talking to her, we had a Zoom and I, I told him, I listen, that's something that essentially you're going to have to have, have to have an answer for, regardless of what position you run for. Yeah. But at the same time, don't have it get to a point where you have these people disconnect you and make it seem as if you're less black than who you are and what you are, because you are the same police officer or same district attorney that was pulled over um, by the police because, that yeah, went viral because yeah. they didn't understand the plates. And it's kind of like for you being in that situation as a black woman, as a leader, you need to t- kind of tell your story so that by the time the rest of this comes out, people already know you. Right. The issue is she won the primary, but now you have 11 weeks to differentiate yourself from the top of the ticket and also let from a national perspective, let people know you have a black woman running for U.S. Senate, attorney general and ag commissioner on top of governor in Georgia. Right. So at least statewide elected black women could be in these positions. But there has to be a greater focus on outside the BS they're going to put out there, at least saying, OK, she's electable. And here's why. Right. You know? I, I agree. I agree. And I, I, I do love that you said that. <clears throat> I think honestly, I think her story, honestly, if she explains it to people, mm-hmm. I think it resonates. Right. I think it makes her. I, a, I think it makes her a powerful. It gives her a powerful message. Um, but it's going to be tough, you know. So, um, listen, we've been going on for like ninety minutes, and yeah. I appreciate you jumping. I actually appreciate you jumping on at the last minute. No problem. Yeah, um, like I said, we might have to just bring you back on. Just period. Yeah, I know you're gonna get the hundred episodes. Take a break, and then we'll meet in the middle before anything, and see how we could uh, re- recap whatever this ends up being a selection cycle. Yeah, man, I'm I'm down for it. And like I said, I would love to have you on. Um, shit, standard. I have my boy Jason Henry. He's always on as a standard. He hasn't been on lately because you know, he's got this thing called a job. But you know, hey, I get that. Yeah. I get that. Um, but look, listen. Uh, give me your final thoughts on what you see regarding this election. I mean, the general election regarding any of the uh, members on the ticket um, or just some period of voters or what's something that you. I, I would say, to be honest, um, don't give up. It's going to be a long campaign cycle. And, and honestly, between this election and the next one, it's going to be a longer period. But just have faith for the most part. I mean, it's it's kind of gambling because we're picking people that we really feel we want to win. But everybody has to vote. The voters aside, regardless of how it turns out. So um, stay faithful, stay prayed up. I think we already kind of know that the census is going to win, but I don't want y'all to overly believe it and not show up. So continue to show up, both who you're going to vote for, but um, understand that it's only the beginning of a longer journey um, for where we really want this country and the state to be, yeah. to be honest. Yeah, no doubt. Um, so I want to end this by saying, you know, my love letter to black people, um, you know, dear black people. Uh, we just had a conversation regarding um, the candidates that came out and the messaging. I think one of the things that really took for me is how we don't have enough people, uh, voices in this space uh, that uh, resonate with us and can actually communicate what our ideals are and what they see. Uh, for the rest of the voters who are listening, um, you have to take stock about what's happening in this election. Now, we can say that, listen, I did say we're not going to have any regrets. But we can be reflective on what it is that's happening and be reflective on the candidates we have. And it doesn't mean that we don't believe in a Democrat can win. And it doesn't mean that we're sour on the idea 
of a Democrat being successful in the state. But we have to have honest, sobering conversations surrounding not only voters, the electorate, but also the demographic of this state and um, what they're trying to do. With that being said, I want to make a formal, formal um, apology for those who were Charlie Chris supporters because I was, you know, easily dismissive of you guys. And I, I apologize fervently for everything that I've ever done to upset you guys. And I know that I broke you guys' heart when I went after Uncle Charlie. And I apologize, especially those black voters who look at Charlie as this old blanket to wrap around their shoulders, around a, the, the fire that is DeSantis, or the coldness of DeSantis, rather. I'm sorry. And sometimes I think about things and I'd be like, all right, well, what have I done? What did I do? And just like DeSantis, or excuse me, just like Chris, who in, you know, is trying to re- relive 2007, there's this new thing happening on Twitter where they're replaying a Linkin Park song that would go at the end of every movie if it ended in 2007. And I thought that would be appropriate. Because I used Linkin Park and Jay-Z Encore to introduce Charlie as my particular guest. So I apologize. And I've been thinking. I don't have any regrets, but I do think about what I've done. And I want you guys to hear me and say, I really don't give a fuck. Anyway, have a great day. Check check out. And uh, we ride out to the next podcast. Boom. Cool.